Welcome back to Second and Short. It is March 17th, 2023. It's officially the 2023 NFL League year. Uh, the ink can meet the paper for all of these free agent signings. Teams can finally talk to Lamar. Uh, and plenty of other wild things can happen and have certainly already happened. Uh, not just in the NFL, though. Plenty of wild things going on everywhere. Champions League, ridiculous. World Baseball Classics going fantastic. We're moving into the knockout stages. And to avoid us going another three hours, let's get right into it, Luke. Let's do it. All right. We've decided at this point Aaron Rodgers just <laughs> deserves his own segment. We spend so much time talking about him. He gets his own part of the prep sheet, and we're just going to open up the show with it. Let's do Let's it. Go ahead. Um, Luke, dude, we can start it first off. First of all, I, I just wanted to say that um, I, I kind of had his episode on the Pat McAfee show, uh, like in the background, you know, walking around my apartment and stuff. What an interesting episode that was. That That's one of my favorite, like, podcasts I've ever watched. Yeah, I, I unfortunately wasn't able to watch it. But I did see all of the stuff that came out of it. But let's start a little bit, like probably from a couple of days ago. So kind of from the outside perspective at this very point right now, the saga seems to be over. But I feel like there's still a lot to come. So we'll just kind of run through it here. So we kind of start where Rodgers allegedly sent a list to the Jets of who he wanted them to pick up and included... Uh, Alan Lazard, uh, Mercedes Lewis, uh, Odell, I think one or two other people. Uh, Does he have control of their budget? (laughs) I don't know, but they already signed Uh, Alan Lazard, so the list is is moving. It's making progress, and so it makes it pretty certain that Rodgers is going to New York at that point. Okay, then Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk reported that the Packers may be fine waiting to trade Rodgers until the draft, um, which definitely throws a wrench in everything. Because, yes, the Jets can go ahead and pick up these players because the trade at this point is certain. It's going to happen. But it is kind of weird for them to just sign all these free agents and they still don't have a quarterback till the draft. Um, but that's just the Packers being petty. It really is. Um, he actually, on the Pat McAfee show, at first I just wanted to say that he denied sending a list. He said that that was like so far out of the realm of reality. Um, he also said that going into, you know, the darkness, he completely thought, you know, he was like 90% retirement, 10% uh, going to play and come back for the Packers. Um, also, before he went into the darkness, Packers and him, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were on pretty good terms. When he came out, Rodgers said on the Pat McAfee show, it seemed like everything had changed, which kind of made his decision to go to the Jets a little bit easier. But yeah, the Packers, I Grayson, I am really, really surprised at how they are handling Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, it is absolutely crazy. And now, uh, starting with Wednesday morning, so just hours before he went on the Pat McAfee show, uh, Tom Pilicero re- reported that the Packers and Jets are continuing to negotiate on the Rodgers trade, but they still haven't agreed on terms, and that the Packers aren't looking for multiple first-round picks like the Stafford trade and the Russell Wilson trade of you know these past couple years. So people were kind of confused by this and why that they weren't demanding so much 
you got to remember that Aaron Rodgers is 39 years old. That's a big difference from a Matthew Stafford or Russell Wilson. Matthew Stafford, when he was traded, was 33. Like, it's a big difference when a guy's 39 because you really don't know how much longer he wants or will play. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. Um, you know, even to bounce off of that, Grayson, is he wasn't nearly at his best last season. Uh, definitely could see the age showing. I don't know. I guess to kind of give you a question off of uh, what we're talking about here, if you're the Jets, how long would you sign Aaron Rodgers to? I'd say four years. Whoa, 43 years old? Yeah. Uh, I I think two. I don't know. I, I feel like it's going to be that, like, he's going to have, you know, it's the whole thing I've said for a while is, like, you know, a new place, new scenery. It's a breath of fresh air for people. I think Rodgers is going to see that because, I don't know, he's really, like, with the Packers, they've never really been, like, a young team. They've always gone out and gotten, like, veteran players. And, yeah, like, guys like Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard have been young throughout the process, but it never seemed like they were a young team. This Jets team is very young. And I think that that's going to bring energy to Aaron Rodgers and bring kind of a youthful energy into his game that he hasn't had in like the past five, six years. And that's a very good point. Um, I, personally, I would like to see it happen. I mean, we kind of saw it with Brady where, you know, even though Brady's still, um, you could tell it wasn't Patriots Brady, but you could also tell that like, it almost was like his regression was kind of halted and maybe even, you know, kind of went backwards a little bit. He had some really good seasons with Tampa. Maybe it could be the same for Rodgers, but, you know, you and I both know Aaron Rodgers ain't Tom Brady. Yeah, that is for certain. Uh, let's talk about really everything that was talked about on this Pat McAfee <laughs> show episode. Though. So 500,000 concurrent viewers uh, were in the live stream to watch a future Hall of Famer. Aaron Rodgers confirmed that he is leaving Green Bay. So um, he did exactly that. He said, I made it clear my intention was to play for the New York Jets. Uh, that kind of riding off the back of so like exactly what you're just saying, how he wanted to play for the Packers, and it seemed like they turned on him. Luckily, uh, Aaron Rodgers is very complimentary of Jordan Love. He spoke very highly of him, uh, repeatedly said he has nothing but appreciation for Packers fans, everyone in the organization, uh, and used the term bittersweet to describe the breakup between him and Green Bay. Uh, in quotes, uh, they want to move on, and now so do I. So that makes me feel like he was kind of turned on. And I know that, you know, at this point, with all the stuff that's happened, it kind of makes sense for the Packers to want to move on. But it, I feel like it shouldn't be at the expense of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, but I, and to bounce off of this, uh, something else that he said that you don't have in here, Grayson, that I just kind of wanted to throw in there is the Packers, Aaron Rodgers brought up that the Packers have a history of doing this to their legendary older players. And, uh, he actually name dropped some guys like AJ Hawk, who was literally in the podcast with Aaron Rodgers, uh, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Julius Peppers, Clay Matthews. Those are all guys, Grayson, that the Packers had. That they just as they got older, of course, Julius Peppers was you know mainly a Panther, but 
he had he had a Pro Bowl season with the Green Bay Packers, and the Packers, you know, all these guys on the list, they they have all one thing in common, and that's that you know when it got you know time for them to be older and you know close to retirement, the Packers just kind of gave up on them almost, and Aaron Rodgers joins that list. Uh, another one being Brett Favre. And it's just kind of strange, and I, I didn't really realize it until Aaron Rodgers you know, brought it up, that the Packers have a history of doing this to their players. Which seems surprising, because we've always viewed the Packers as, you know, like, look, they're the only team that is uh, a technically publicly traded. Their owners are a community of people. Their stadium is in the middle of a neighborhood. Like, they are, like, a homegrown NFL franchise in a sense and we've seen that and it gives them an image of like this very you know like nice place to be small market small like media idea but when it all comes down to it it's a business and the way that they've seen it in you know throughout the years is as guys are getting older they're not going to play as well as they did so ship them off you know though with some of those players, they burn their bridges. I think that for the most part, they've handled this Rogers situation well. And I think that both sides, uh, when it's all said and done are going to be okay with how it goes. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, But I do want to kind of shit on the Packers because Aaron Rodgers also said that he wished the Packers would have just told him in person if they were thinking about moving on, which after they lost to the lions, uh, you know, in the last week of football, they may have not known, you know, that Aaron Rodgers, that they wanted to move on from Aaron Rodgers. But I think what Aaron Rodgers may have said in the interview, I, I may have heard this wrong, but he he had heard that, you know, it was brewing that he might leave. But the Packers, you know, they never told him anything in person. And Aaron Rodgers, uh, he told on the set on the Pat McAfee show that he kind of had an issue with that. But he handled himself very cordial. He doesn't seem to be too offended by it. But that was just the one thing that I think Rodgers mentioned that, I kind of agreed with it would have been nice if that organization with all that he has given them would have just told him in person, had a nice meeting, you know, told him that he was going to be in the Packer hall of fame and that they wanted to, you know, maybe give him a one day contract later down the road, but there was really none of that. Yeah. And um, I think it was over the weekend, maybe uh, the president of the Packers, I believe I can't quite remember his name um, made a statement uh, oddly at like a, state high school basketball game i think okay um he was asked by like a couple of reporters there about like the rogers situation and he essentially was like aaron Rodgers is a legend his number will be retired like all this stuff like the, the relationship will stay it's not like the Favre and green bay situation where Favre, you know like they kind of burn their bridges on both sides. And I think that this situation is much better than what anybody really could have imagined for a breakup between Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And what a lot of people um you know have said and just with how Aaron Rodgers is, is like you can tell he's got a he's got a little bit of an ego to him. He definitely does. And it's it's actually kind of surprising to me that he isn't really lashing out the Packers very much but no it's it seems all love you know for Jordan Love all love for the Packers all love for the you know Packers moving forward it's actually it's just nice to see it's really nice to see yeah and 
you had said earlier uh, about the list um, that Roger said that's ridiculous, not the reality. I think it's stupid to think that that would be the reality. Yeah. Uh, but he did say he was asked about players he'd be interested in them picking up when he was visiting with the Jets. So maybe not a list, but he was certainly asked the questions, and he should be. He's you know uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback. He gets that right. Exactly, and I'm I'm sure anybody like <clears throat> anybody who has spent the amount of time in the league and been as successful as Aaron Rodgers, they probably got a good scout gene to them too. So I'm, it's not a bad idea to ask Aaron Rodgers who's a good football player and who's not. So yeah, and then also uh, he confirmed that Nathaniel Hackett was one of the main reasons he wanted to go to New York. Uh, he said that everyone knows that Nathaniel Hackett brings a lot of energy, a lot of fun. He's a really great human being and a great football coach. So, look, Rodgers absolutely killed it on the Pat McAfee show. And I think going forward, I would love to just see him on there every week during (laughs) the season. Like, he should just have his segment every week. Yeah. um, Pat McAfee, obviously a fantastic personality. AJ Hawk and all the other guys he has on there, just so good. Um, And I want to, you know, shout them out. 500? thousand concurrent viewers that's insane i mean it really just shows you know how podcasting has grown and that that's an amazing feat i feel like for just sports podcasting in general um but nathaniel hackett um back to you know the topic the nathaniel hackett um topic was brought up in the pat mcafee show saying it was by pat mcafee who said that they brought nathaniel hackett in for Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers actually kind of got a little bit, you know, he got a little bit snappy with Pat McAfee and said that that's like absolutely ridiculous. And it completely diminishes what Nathaniel Hackett can bring to the table. And, you know, just kind of goes to show Aaron Rodgers defending more of his Packer buddies. Um, But yeah, I just, I just thought that was interesting. Like he really kind of went after Pat McAfee and was like, you're, you're doing him a disservice, man. Yeah. I I think that that's mainly riding off the back of, how connected Rodgers was to the Broncos last last offseason. And then they hired Nathaniel Hackett. And then everybody was like, oh, he's got to be going there. Like, this is bait. And so yeah. the Jets bringing him in as an offensive coordinator seemed like a similar move. Is it a part of it? It's definitely a part of his decision. He said that himself. But... Nathaniel Hackett has run a fantastic offense in Green Bay... Uh, in his time there. And yeah, like like you said, Rodgers should defend him because you can't take away what Nathaniel Hackett's done by saying that, oh, he just got hired to get Rodgers. No, he got hired because he's a fantastic offensive coordinator. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm kind of glad, you know, it, it was funny, Grayson, for you and I to kind of meme on the Broncos and meme on Nathaniel Hackett. But like, at the end of the day, this dude knows – he knows how to build an offense. He knows how to be an offensive coordinator. And um, I, I feel like he's going to be great in New York, just in general. Not Aside from the Jets bringing him in to potentially lure Aaron Rodgers, aside from that, Nathaniel Haggett's going to do great things for this franchise. Yep. Sorry, I got to interrupt real quick because um, the 15-seed Princeton uh, just upset number two-seed Arizona in the first round of March Madness. Holy shit. Okay. Yep. This is a great start to the day. All right. <laughs> Let's keep going. What did your bracket say, Grayson? Uh, my bracket uh, certainly didn't have Princeton winning. 
<laughs> so that's screwed. I guess I'm not going to be a millionaire. RIP, man. Sucks. We'll get him next year. All right. Let's keep going with Rodgers, though. So, look, he's leaving. It's obvious here. Uh, he's confirmed it as much as he possibly can. But 4 p.m. struck yesterday, and the league year started. Rodgers is still a Packer. Uh, obviously, I talked about how Packers might wait you know, as long as they want. But in the meantime, Rodgers ends his Packers career with the third most games played in franchise history, the second most passing yards, and the most touchdowns. The guy is a legend. I would go as far as to say the best quarterback in Packers history could be a bias of mine. I think he was better than Brett Favre, won the same amount of Super Bowls. Um, Favre threw a fucking shitload of interceptions. And, and then, of course, Bart Starr's in the conversation, but he's old. Doesn't count. Yeah, before our time, doesn't count. <laughs> yep. But to go on with you know this kind of move here, it's worked in the past. So within two years of leaving their teams, Joe Montana, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady made a conference title game with their new teams. Uh, of those four new teams, none of those teams that they joined had gotten that far in the eight years previous. So maybe this is a sign that the Jets could do something here. It seems like and all four of these guys were pretty old when they made these jumps. and. It seems to have paid out a bit. Uh, I know, you know, Brady and Manning won the Super Bowls. I don't know if Joe Montana won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs. Dude, I didn't even know that he went to a conference title game with the Chiefs. I, I thought whenever he went to the Chiefs, he just kind of like flopped completely. But that's insane. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, moves like this pay out dividends. And the last thing I want to talk about, though, with Rodgers leaving Green Bay is that this leaves Dak Prescott as the longest tenured starting quarterback with a team in the NFL right now. Dang, that makes that makes me feel so old. It's crazy. Like Dak wow. has only been the starter since 2016. Yeah, I know. Dang, that's dude. crazy. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it makes us it, it just reminds us like, oh yeah, like Brady's gone and Breeze is gone, Roethlisberger's gone, Rogers has moved, Phillip Rivers is gone. Eli Manning's gone. Like all of these guys are gone or have made moves from other teams. And Dak Prescott sucks and he's the longest tenure. <laughs> yep, that is true. But yeah, Aaron Rodgers, dude, I, I, I would go as far as to say the best quarterback of my generation. He doesn't have the Super Bowls of Brady, but just just look up a video of Aaron Rodgers throwing a football and you'll you'll see my point. Also, the 2010 Super Bowl against the Steelers, I would go as far as to say that's one of the best I have I, I have never seen a quarterback play like that before. That 2010 Steelers defense had defense uh, defensive player of the year Troy Polamalu on that team, along with you know all the other guys that won um, the Super Bowl two years prior against Arizona, completely dismantled us. Um, yeah, Aaron Rodgers he he deserves he deserves everything, man. That that guy. He knows how to play football, Grayson. We, we can say that. Yes, he sure does. Let's go ahead and talk free agency moves. Um, we're not going to run through every single one like we did on Tuesday, but there was still plenty that happened since. So just to kick it off, Jordan Poyer returns to the Bills on a two-year deal. I think this is a huge surprise. It yep. seemed to me like it was certain that he was leaving. 
Um, it was rumored he was going to Miami. He's from there. He said something on Twitter about how nice it would be to not pay, uh, like the ta- like have such high taxes. So <laughs> it seemed like Miami was the spot. There was a couple other teams rumored as well, and now he returns to the Bills. It, it definitely caught me by surprise. Yeah, and I kind of thought, um, and we talked about it previously, that um, Jordan Poyer, you know, not being re-signed yet, I kind of thought that it may have been the DeMar Hamlin show. Kind of makes me wonder if them bringing him back, which obviously means that Micah Hyde would probably be the other free safety once he's healthy again next season, kind of makes me wonder if the Bills are maybe starting to doubt DeMar Hamlin's health. Which, I mean, they probably should. Um, you know, with how serious it was against Cincinnati earlier uh, last season. But I don't know. I really thought that DeMar Hamlin might be the starter if he's healthy. But I guess, you know, the Bills just playing it safe, bringing back their uh, their uh, stud. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is really questioning it. I think it's just a matter of, look, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are both outstanding safeties. Losing them is a bad idea, no matter what the case is. Whether you wanted to give DeMar Hamlin an opportunity or not, these guys are outstanding, and to be able to have them on your team is huge. So I don't know if it's as much questioning DeMar's ability as much as it is just trying to have the best players possible. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. And then the Panthers made probably one of my favorite moves so far. Uh, they signed Miles Sanders to four years, $25 million. It's pretty cheap, certainly, for Miles Sanders. And... I think he could do some great stuff there. Yeah, me too. Um, Carolina is just a really good team for him to go to. It's young. Um, it's it's looking up, you know, uh, with their offseason and how it's progressed. And, I mean, Grayson, dude, just played in the Super Bowl. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't get a bad deal or a bad player here if you're Carolina. In four years, $25 million? <laughs> he, he probably could have negotiated more with a different team, but I, I like him landing in Carolina. That's a good spot for him. Yeah, and then former Chiefs offensive tackle Orlando Brown signed a four-year, $64 million deal with the Bengals. And the biggest surprise here to me is that I feel like it should have been a higher number. Really? Yeah, I feel like he should be getting paid more. He's an outstanding offensive tackle. Yeah, uh, maybe... Maybe it's one of those situations where he's taking a pay cut coming into a team that they know they're going to have to pay Jamar and Burrow. Um, maybe he just wants to, you know, take a pay cut to make the team even stronger. Which I 100% commend and definitely respect that decision if that's the case. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, anything to protect your young quarterback. Orlando Brown is a stud. Um, <laughs> it's a shame he's coming to the AFC North, but that's a that's a good pickup if you're a Bengals fan. Yeah, and then Levante David is returning to the Buccaneers on a one-year, $7 million deal. This move is fantastic for the Bucs. Look, I know Levante David is getting pretty old, but you get you know a former Pro Bowl, I believe all-pro linebacker to stay on your team for a pretty cheap number. That's a great deal. Yeah, I like it. Um, I want to say he was one of the captains on their defense last year. Um, you're getting him for only 7 mil, like you just pointed out. Um, he, he's just a great player to have. And I'm glad that he's staying with the Bucks because that would have sucked if they were to lose him. But, you know, he's staying there. That's a, that's a good one. And then uh, former 49er linebacker Aziz Alshair signed a one-year $6 million deal with the Titans. 
this one not all that surprising to me. Aziz was a solid linebacker in San Francisco, but really didn't take a jump like most people probably would have wanted. Still great player, and I think the Titans really got a good deal. Yeah, anything to help out that team, right? <laughs> yeah, they need all the help they can get. And we'll move to Juju. Uh, he signed a three-year, $33 million deal with the Patriots, which perfectly mirrors um, – oh, why am I absolutely blanking on his name? They're the Patriots' former wide receiver that just signed to the Raiders. Oh, Jacoby Myers. Yes, Jacoby Myers also got three years, $33 million. So a relatively lateral move, but when you look at the money, it makes it seem like maybe the Patriots just wanted to try something new instead of sticking with Jacoby Myers. You know, I can imagine that New England would be a pretty desirable place to play, uh, especially if you got a head coach like Bill Belichick. But, you know, when I think of Juju Smith-Schuster, I think of, you know, fun, Fortnite, (laughs) (laughs) TikTok, dancing. Bill Belichick, going to the New England Patriots is like joining the Army. I don't think Juju's going to have fun. I don't think he'll re-sign with this team. And if you're a Patriots fan, I I think – Patriots have lacked a wide receiver one since like Julian Edelman's last couple of years where he wasn't that good. Juju has never been able to amount um, to the same kind of level he had his rookie year. He played awesome under Antonio Brown. And I don't know with the Patriots, I think you're kind of just bringing back another Jacoby Myers. Honestly, Juju isn't going to show out for this team. He's not going to be one of the best in the league. I I think the Patriots at wide receiver should have gone more aggressive, but Hey, Juju's a good player anyway. I, I don't know. What do you think, Grayson? I think that it was probably a matter of they didn't have a good enough package to pick up D-Hop, and they just had to go for the next best, which personally, I would say the next best is Odell, but Odell's going to be pretty expensive uh, is the way it's looking. So saving a little bit of money, picking up a wide receiver, it's obviously a need. I don't have a problem with the deal, but I do agree with you. I don't think Juju's really going to move the needle in New England. Exactly. And, I mean, you said it yourself, and honestly, I think you put it perfectly. It is, it's only a lateral move. Your team doesn't get better. It doesn't get worse. Juju will probably give you the same as Jacoby Myers, which wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough. It was good, but it wasn't enough. I, I don't know. I, I don't really like this move that much. But, I mean, at least you're kind of just replacing the same player, I guess. Yeah. And then the uh, former Colts wide receiver Paris Campbell signed with the Giants on a one-year, $3 million deal. This one's not big, but it's just, again, the Giants addressing a need. Paris Campbell's a pretty solid wide receiver, more of like a wide receiver three. He runs that position well. Um, He's got pretty secure hands, and that's what you need out of a guy who's not really going to be a game changer, just a guy who can be reliable, and I think Paris Campbell is just that. Yeah, I, I like this move a lot. Um, one year, $3 million, that's going to be super cheap for, I think, what Paris Campbell can offer. Isn't a lot, but it is It is positive. Um, it, it is positive things. You have guys like Isaiah Hodges on that team. Uh, Richie James, I think, is the other guy. And Darius Slayton. Paris Campbell's right around the same skill level of those guys. He'll see the field, and I think they got a pretty decent player for pretty cheap. Yeah. And then the Commanders picked up Jacoby Brissett on a one-year $8 million deal. And I think that this is – it's not a backup quarterback move here. I think this is a competition with Sam Howell kind of pickup. They want to see how Sam Howell's going to play 
when he knows that there's a guy who has certainly won games in the NFL behind him. Uh, once again, just to restate it, I don't know what it is about this this season. Fantastic backup quarterback pickups. Yeah, um, and Jacoby Brissett, uh, I hope he starts over Sam Howell, man. I, I've been waiting for this guy to get a team for so long whenever he broke out onto the scene uh, with I think it was with the Patriots. You had like Tom Brady get suspended. Uh, Garoppolo got hurt and Jacoby Brissett, I think played. And that was where he got his like first, um, first moments on the field. This guy has been pretty much great for any team he has played for. And he's just kind of been bounced around. I would argue, you know, he's, he's kind of similar to Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point in his career. He's bounced around a lot. Jacoby Brissett has, in my opinion, had a way more of an impact than Ryan Fitzpatrick ever had on any of his teams. Jacoby Brissett is a highly, highly underrated quarterback, and the commander's got a good one. Yeah, and, and a great deal here for him as well. With only $8 million, um, he I could certainly see him re-signing with the commanders. I could too. And then, let's see, Falcons corner Isaiah Oliver signed a one-year deal with the 49ers. Uh, this one is primarily a fill-in move because – 49ers cornerback Emmanuel Mosley signed a one-year deal with the Lions. So the Falcons have already started to address the secondary. It's likely they go corner, possibly in the second round in the draft as well. Um, I'd like to move for the um, for the 49ers. Isaiah Oliver has been very solid, a pretty good player, uh, but just wasn't quite producing at the level that we expected out of a first-round pick in Atlanta. So, you know, hopefully he can do good things for the 49ers, but I don't blame the Falcons for letting him go. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. But the other um, the other transaction that you mentioned, Emmanuel Mosley going to the Lions, they have just now brought in uh, Cameron Sutton and Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Mosley on top of Jeff Okuda and Amani. I, I don't know how to say his last name, and it's not in front of me, so I'm not even going to try. It really seems like the Lions are trying to address um, their defensive back issues that plagued them last season. And Emmanuel Mosley is a great pickup for the Lions. It's just one more decent player to add to the um, to the secondary, and I like it. Certainly. All right, Luke. Once again, I've done it. I called it again. It. <laughs> Baker Mayfield signs a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What did I say? It's Baker time in Tampa. Just wait until I find your time machine and my, my takes start rivaling yours. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Because I, I I genuinely think this is a good move. I Look, I think Baker still has time in the NFL. It's not a Johnny Manziel situation here. Yeah, Baker's got uh, quite a personality, but the kid can win games. And... He, he's made it – he's taken a team to the playoffs. I feel like people overlook that a lot. He took a Cleveland Browns team to the playoffs. Yep. Just just don't talk about the wild card game. Don't no. talk about that wild card game. We're not going to bring that up. It but was bullshit. It, yeah. Great. <laughs> it, it was bullshit. It was unfair. Um, Obviously, I'm talking about when the Steelers got murdered. But anyway, I like this pickup too, and – as you mentioned earlier, and as we mentioned uh, in previous podcasts, the backup quarterback market is thriving. It's at Baker Mayfield. I would, I would personally like to see Kyle Trask over Baker Mayfield at least, maybe week one or week two. But other than that, it's a still a good move for Kyle, Kyle Trask anyway. Uh, anyway, because he's you know 
He has to compete with Baker Mayfield now, who's, like you said, taken teams to the playoffs before. Um, yeah, great deal for the Buccaneers. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Baker Mayfield's better than Kyle Trask? I think at this very moment, yes. But I think that this is much better for Kyle Trask than the Buccaneers picking up like a pretty solid starter. Because, look, Kyle Trask has backed up Tom Brady his whole career. And it's pretty hard to compete for a spot when there is zero spot or zero competition to be had. Um, So when Baker is there, Kyle Trask actually has somebody to compete with for a starting spot. So that'll kind of show us, you know, what kind of quarterback is Kyle Trask? Is he going to, you know, get his ass in check, really work on himself, become a starting level quarterback and beat out Baker? Or is he just going to accept the fact that he's not going to start? Yeah, and you know it's it's good for Kyle Trask in, in the sense where now he doesn't have to give uh, water to Tom Brady. Now he can actually throw the football and work on his skills, uh, compete with Baker. Um, I, I would really like to see Kyle Trask next season, but I, I think it'll probably be Baker at least now. What it looks like. All right, and then the Saints pick up probably my favorite free agent of the offseason, Jamal Williams, on a very small deal for 17 touchdowns last season, three years, 12 million. You're paying a guy that got 17 touchdowns last year, $4 million a year. Yeah. And, and who did he get? Uh, he broke their franchise record. Grayson, I want, I want, I want you to say it. Who did he beat? He beat out Barry Sanders. Exactly. Three and different years of Barry Sanders. He beat out. <laughs> yeah. And you're talking three year, twelve million, and he now gets to sit behind AK. This is such a good move for the Saints. But if you're Jamal Williams, you need to be RB one somewhere else, man. I and I get it. Like you know, now we're in a league where it seems like almost every team is looking for a second running back instead of one guy to do it all, which I, I personally enjoy. I would have personally liked to see seen Jamal Williams get a bigger contract and be an RB one somewhere else. But hey, if if he's fine with you know being a goal line guy, then and you know poaching touchdowns, more power to him. But uh, the Saints got a really good player. But yeah, I would have liked to see Jamal Williams go somewhere else. Yeah, well, it's a fact that Alvin Kamara could not find the end zone last year, so they certainly needed to help him. And this sure. is probably your best option to help him. Yep, I agree. And then the Lions replaced Jamal Williams with David Montgomery, three years, $18 million. So you end up paying more for David Montgomery than what Jamal Williams took with the Saints. And I'm really starting to question where the Lions' head was at. Yeah, me too. Um, David Montgomery did not have nearly as good of a season as, he, uh, as Jamal Williams did. But hey, the Lions, you know, um, kind of just looking at him last season, they're a great team uh, to be on if you're a running back. Maybe David Montgomery will flourish much more than Jamal Williams did on the Lions. I doubt it, but, you know, David Montgomery's still a good back in his own right. All right. Luke, was there any other signings you saw that you really liked? No, I think we can we can move on to the Cowboys cut Zeke. Yes. And let me uh, tell you, my favorite part about this is that I've got a prediction. Uh-oh. Ezekiel Elliott. Be playing alongside Mr. Josh Allen in Buffalo. Wow. I like that take. I think it fits. They need like a workhorse type running back. And that is exactly what Ezekiel Elliott is. Yeah, I, I think do you think Ezekiel Elliott's an upgrade from David Singletary? 
Sorry, Devin Singletary. Um, yes, it, in potential. Play, I think, I think yeah, yeah. there is definitely the potential there for Zeke to play very well. And what I also question here, though, is on the Cowboys' side, is this giving Tony Pollard the keys to the to the running back position, or are they also going to be eyeing somebody else? Yeah, which uh, you and I actually you know texted about it yesterday. Personally, if I'm the Cowboys, don't don't go into the free agency. I think you're just kind of you're you're wasting money if you get a running back in the free agency. I would like to see them try to get a running back second, third round, or shit, just even rock with Pollard for the year. I mean, Pollard has proven that he can be the guy. He rushed for a thousand yards for the first time in his career last year, I believe. You know, he he definitely deserves to be RB one in Dallas, but with how the Dallas uh, Cowboys have had, you know, Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard for many years now, I can't help but think that the Cowboys would like to get someone behind Tony now. Yeah, I think that Devin A. Chain would be a great pickup in the second round for him. Yeah, I like that. All right, let's talk about Darius Slay. Because he obviously wants out of Philly. He's essentially said, like, thank you to Philly for all of my time here, blah, blah, blah. So, but, like, he he's on the team. Um, yeah. Um, it's yeah. interesting. Uh, he's obviously conversing with other teams about trades, I'm sure Philly has probably given him that um, uh, permission. But Trey Young, Atlanta Hawks point guard, tried to recruit him on social media. He tweeted at him, just like ATL question mark, bunch of fire emojis, I think. Um, I would love to see big play slay in Atlanta. Dude, alongside A.J. Terrell and Darius Slay, uh, 32 years old, he's actually from Brunswick, Georgia, which I thought was really cool. Um, he, he would be great for A.J. Terrell. Kind of like um, on a smaller scale, but sort of similar. Patrick Peterson will mentor whoever the Steelers draft. Because like I've said, I know it's 100% a cornerback. At least it needs to be. Darius Slay can kind of be that for A.J. Terrell, which is something that A.J. Terrell hasn't really had in the NFL. I think that could be great, you know, mutually for both sides there, AJ Terrell and Darius Slay, and it'll be great for the Falcons. Um, but Grayson, I think he's expected to stay. I think that there's another team in the conversation that might be more enticing to him than staying in Philly or going to Atlanta. And it's because there's a franchise that's a little bit closer to Brunswick than Atlanta. Yeah. The Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and they didn't they just lose um, Griffith? Uh, yes, they did. So you got to hold a fill there. Darius Slate could be the guy, but at uh, 11.05 um, p.m. last night, he tweeted, back like I never left, run it back with an Eagles emoji. Oh, well, shit. Didn't see that. Yeah. Well, that sucks. I was really hoping he'd go to Jacksonville. Not Atlanta? No, nah, like, okay, I'd love to have him in Atlanta. I think he would be so good in Jacksonville. Okay, yeah, I like it. All right, Austin Eckler, speaking of trades, requested permission from the Chargers to seek a trade. Uh, I believe that has been allowed. Uh, He tweeted thanking the Chargers, blah, blah, blah. So here's another running back that is on the market. This is amidst a bunch of people talking about Derrick Henry possibly being shopped. The same for Nick Chubb. Austin Eckler is certainly a fantastic running back. We talked about him uh, 
on our running backs list, or at least you did. I didn't have him on my list, but he's not just a running back. He is certainly a force in the receiving game, and I think that any team that could trade for Austin Eckler certainly should. Is there a, a particular landing spot that you might have in mind? Ooh. Hmm. I like I like Baltimore for Austin Eckler. Hmm. Interesting. It, it may seem a little bit unfeasible with where um, Baltimore's at with all of their, you know, negotiations and free agencies and all that. But this dude, look, I, I talked about him on my top 10 list, 915 uh, rushing yards. So he was under 1,000, but he had 107 receptions for 722 yards. The Chargers, man, oh, Grayson, I, I understand they're in cap hell. But this is not the entire reason that these trade trades are even happening for Austin Eckler. The entire reason that he's allowed to talk to other teams is because the Chargers are in cap hell and could not secure him on a long term deal. I completely understand Austin Eckler wanting to leave this situation, but if you're the Chargers man, oh my gosh, hands in the face. That's all I can say. You have to keep your running back that caught 107 passes. You have to and. I don't think he's going to stay, man. I think Austin Eckler's done. No, I think he's gone. And my ideal landing spot for him is Chicago. Uh, that Yeah, okay. That one's better than what I said. Yeah, because, Chicago is much more realistic, too. Yeah, at the moment, they're starting running back as Khalil Herbert, who certainly is pretty good. But, you know, behind him, Travis Homer and then Treston Ebner, uh, two guys I've personally never heard of. And I think that Austin Eckler with Justin Fields would be ridiculous because we know how much Justin Fields likes to run around, make things happen. If you've got a guy out of the backfield that can catch a pass and, and make something out of nothing like Austin Eckler, he would pair so well with Justin Fields. Yeah. I also just wanted to point out that Austin Eckler also had 13 touchdowns, which was tied for second, uh, 13 rushing touchdowns. That is, um, it really doesn't get much more versatile than him. Uh, he also had five receiving touchdowns, too. So just a complete monster. Um, Chicago would be entertaining. DJ Moore, Justin Fields, Austin Eckler? Shit. Awesome. Yeah. Certainly. And let's talk about Jalen Carter because he had his pro day the other day, and it was hard to watch, honestly. Uh, he weighed in nine pounds heavier than what he weighed in at the Combine just a couple of weeks ago. He couldn't even complete his drills. And meanwhile, he just pled no contest to his misdemeanor charges. This resulted in 12 months of probation, a $1,000 fine, and 80 hours of community service as well. Uh, he will attend a defensive driving course. Uh, this does leave the state with no way to bring additional charges. So getting it settled now, great idea. But what is going on with him right now? Obviously, this has brought a ton of stress into his life because just weeks ago, he could have gone number one overall, and he was driving too fast, and now he's put himself in a horrible situation. But gaining nine pounds and not being able to complete your drills, like that's embarrassing at that point. Yeah, and I mean, you just can't help but think, like, not, not only with him, his involvement in the situation, but he also, you know, lost two friends. I, I don't know if, you know, Jalen Carter was friends with the, the, um, 
Uh, what what was the girl? She was like a. She was, was part of title? the uh, recruiting staff, I believe. Okay. So I don't know if Jalen Carter was, you know, friends with her, but I'm sure that they were all, you know, an acquaintance and, you know, friendly with each other. And I'm sure, you know, that probably fucked him up a little bit on top of the fact that he was there. He, you know, kind of played a part in it as far as like, I want to say he was just also like racing and driving fast. It's just a shame to see. And it, you know, really makes me wonder where he's going to go now. And when he'll go. I think that after this, there's a possibility that he drops a bit. Obviously, uh, he can still visit teams, do workouts, which could certainly help him out. But, you know, this is a really bad look for a guy that was almost a consensus 1-1. Yeah. Um, And what's really interesting about, you know, this awful, awful situation is if he goes second round, Grayson, what... I think will happen is teams will that that have kind of an idea of what they want to do in a second in the second round. If Jalen Carter's still there, I mean, Jalen Carter's the still there in the second round. Yeah, I don't, I don't want the Steelers to take O line or you know whatever they're predicted to take in the second round. I want them to take Jalen Carter, right? Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of fans of other teams would want them to do the same thing. And I'm sure GMs and head coaches would happily take Jalen Carter over what their plans were. So I think, you know, if he slips that far, Grayson, we're going to see a lot of teams kind of um, shake up what they want to do and who they're going to take. Yeah, I think honestly it'll happen in the first round. I think that even if he does get passed up by a couple of teams, somebody's going to be like, well, shit, we can't pass this up and just go ahead and take him. And it might shake up the rest of the draft. There's really no telling right now where Jalen Carter could land in the draft. but. I feel like at this point, it's pretty obvious that with this move that they've just made legally um, by taking uh, the no contest and just taking these charges, it's helping him out. Because if anything else got brought on the table, he could see himself dropping far, like very far. And with the way it's ended, because this is over, technically. This whole situation is technically over. Nothing else can be brought onto him as a result of this. So I don't know. I think this was a good move for them and it'll keep him in the first round. Yeah. I I think, you know, with how horrible this situation has, um, you know, been for obviously the families of the um, people that passed away, but for Jalen Carter, um, I feel like with, you know, his mistakes, he's really handling them uh, well. And, you know, he's definitely keeping headstrong, on wanting to get drafted and wanting to get drafted, you know, it's still pretty high. I feel like Jalen Carter and his team have handled this situation pretty well. So that that's at least nice to see. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Odell, and then we'll get into our top 10 defensive tackles this season. Odell is still on the board. It's kind of flooring to me at this point. Right now it looks like the Ravens, Chiefs, and Cowboys are leading the charge. But I, I don't know. I, I think maybe he's just asking for a little bit too much. Yeah, I think that's what it is, too. And and we talked about it on Tuesday. Odell, he brings you a lot of talent, but he also brings you, you know, a couple months ago, it looked like he was drugged up on a plane. Um, you know, he's had incidences before of where, you know, his emotions get in, uh, in control of his, you know, smart thinking. Um, you know, you're taking a risk here, but 
I think Odell has probably matured a little bit since, you know, everything has happened in his uh, younger career days uh, or younger age days. <sighs> but 20 mil is too much for Odell. I, I If I was a GM, I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't want to take Odell for $20 million. Yeah, what's your number? Because I think, I think he wants something relatively long term. Personally, I'd probably put him in like a, I don't know, two years, thirty, two years, thirty million. I, I was actually going to say fifteen a year. Okay, yeah. So I agree with you. I, I think the two years works. Look, he's still a fantastic wide receiver, and a two-year deal, maybe let's say a two-year deal, the one-year team option, um, that could probably work out well. If he ends up causing some problems year one, get him the hell out of town. If he doesn't, he still has another year with you, and you could work on an extension in that time. I think that that works better than a one-year deal for them. But you know, with Odell, I just I can't bet on him being okay with staying somewhere for three years. I feel like he'd just get antsy and be like, "Oh, I'm tired of this. I want to leave." I'm gonna I'm gonna you know my dad's gonna talk shit about my quarterback on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. And, and like that. But, you know, bottom line, personally, Odell is such a fun wide receiver to watch. I, I hope he I hope he plays next season. I, I really do. Um, I love what I would just love to see him on the field. Twenty million dollars, though. I, I don't think he's going to get it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. All right. Well, let's get into this top 10 defensive tackles list. Honestly, this might have been my hardest list to put together. I actually did this one the fastest. This was one of my easier ones. Really? I feel like I just, I don't know, I kept, like, second-guessing myself. I kept changing, like, oh, what, like, trying to decide what my standards were for, like, how I view a valuable defensive tackle. Do I want a guy who's a fantastic run stopper? Do I want a guy who gets a high sack total? Like, I, I could not decide. So my list might be all over the place, um, but I, I do like a, a for the most part, I do like how I've set this thing up. Yeah, me too. Um, but you you think it's all over the place, but you know good and damn well that you and I are going to flip flop again, just like we <laughs> always do. So let's let's get nah, into it. I, I got a feeling this one's interesting. Okay. All right. Started off number ten, Luke. You've got the floor. I went with Derek Brown. Uh, this guy plays for the Carolina Panthers. He only had one sack last season. 30 tackles, but he did have an interception, which I wanted to highlight. Defensive tackle interceptions, you just love to see it. Um, he had a career high in pass rush grade and in total pressures. Uh, his run defense grade was uh, third best in the league, and I'm getting this from PPF. So that, that whenever I say grade, I'm talking about PPF grades. So, yeah, Derek Brown had a great year for Carolina, a player that kind of flew under the radar for me. All right, my number 10, Jonathan Allen of the Washington Commanders. I think he was fantastic. And what got me here really is um, the seven and a half sacks outstanding. But for me, it was the tackles for loss. Um, he came in uh, ninth in the league, uh, third amongst defensive tackles with 16 tackles for loss. I see that as a huge attribute to any team. And look, tackles for loss is probably what I value the highest. Uh, when it comes to defensive tackles. So Jonathan Allen had a fantastic season last year. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he would, because I, Jonathan Allen's my number nine. Um, I, I hear that he was tied for most tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I have here that Deron Payne had more uh, as well as Chris, Chris Jones. Okay. Well, 
Anyway, as you said, seven and a half sacks is is a pretty good number for a defensive lineman. 44 tackles, that's also pretty high uh, relative to the rest of my list. Um, two forced fumbles. Jonathan Allen also had an, uh, an interception uh, this past season. Yeah, wonderful player for the Commanders. Uh, can't wait to watch him play next season. All right, my number nine, Cameron Hayward of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I feel like I, I could have put him higher. I could have put him higher. I understand that completely, okay? Yes, okay. he finished third in, in pressures, fourth in win rate, ten and a half sacks. Fantastic stuff from Cameron Hayward. I don't know. There's just something about the guys ahead of them that I like more. That's all I have. Okay. Well, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a spoiler. It'll take me a while to get to Cameron Hayward on this list. That's fine. <laughs> I understand. Um, uh, we're on number eight now, right? Me? Yes. Okay. I went with uh, Christian Wilkins, the uh, Miami Dolphins defensive lineman. He had three and a half sacks, but 59 tackles. That is a super high number relative to the rest of this list. He also had two forced fumbles, just like Jonathan Allen. But the stat that I like here the most, he had seven batted passes, which was tied the most in his, uh, like, it was tied for the lead in his position. And, you know, seven batted passes, that's that's a pretty good number for defensive linemen. You know, them, them guys jumping up and batting the passes down, those are usually, you know, pretty important plays in the moment. And he had seven of them. So Christian Wilkins was my number eight. Yeah, he can do a split as well. Yeah, you're right. And all right, my number eight, DeForest Buckner of the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I just think that even if the stats weren't fantastic, um, yeah, he did finish fifth in pressures. Uh, he had 47 stops, uh, that ranked second in the entire NFL. But when it comes to him, I think it's just the way that he gets to the quarterback that enamors me. He is a game, like a watch them, watch him play kind of player. And that's how you'll know how good he is. Because at his build, he certainly should not be getting up and you know beating guys high like he does. He's six foot seven, but huge arm over uh, move, huge swim move. He's slippery. Like he gets through the line so well. Obviously, that attributes to the pressures and the stops. I just think DeForest Buckner is a fantastic defensive tackle and has continued to be throughout his career. And that was my number seven, uh, DeForest Buckner with eight sacks, which is, you know, once again, a really good number for an interior lineman, 44 tackles. He had two forced fumbles. And as you brought up, he was uh, tied for fifth in his position with 56 total pressures. DeForest Buckner, he, you know, ever since he's been in the league, he's been consistently one of the best. Um, and he was one of the best last season. He made my number seven. All right. My number seven, Javon Hargrave of the, now the 49ers, but the Philadelphia Eagles last season, just an outstanding player when it all comes down to it. He just, the sack numbers, uh, you know, a huge contribution with 11 uh, to his team's, what was it, 70? And right. 60 total tackles, four and a half stuffs, um, a, a great player all across the board. He forced a fumble as well. Javon Hargrave is outstanding and just got paid this offseason. Take a wild guess at who I have at number six. Probably Javon Hargrave. It's Javon Hargrave. 11 sacks was actually his career high, too. I wanted to highlight that. Um, 
Started out with the Steelers. I like them then, but every team he's gone to since the Steelers, he has just only only gotten better. He's an amazing talent. Um, so he had uh, 37 tackles. Uh, I'm actually – I have the solo tackle stat. I didn't add, like, total tackles. So whenever we talk about tackles, I have solo. I just wanted to put that out there. Um, you mentioned the one force fumble. That's always nice. Uh, and the, the only stat that I really wanted to add to what you said – is he was the highest ranked defensive player going into free agency. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's huge. All right. My number six is Deron Payne, uh, the second commander on my list. 11 and a half sacks, 18 tackles for loss. He had 32 solo tackles, 64 total tackles. The guy is a beast. He forced two fumbles as well. Or sorry, he did not force any fumbles. I was looking at the wrong guy. Um, But... Deron Payne, regardless, was fantastic the year. He did recover a fumble. Uh, he also somehow defended five passes, uh, but also picked up eight stuffs for 14 stuff yards. Deron Payne was unstoppable on a very strong defensive line of the Commanders last season. Yeah, that was a player that I forgot to put on this list. Four years, $90 million. Yeah, he, he did get paid too, but you said 11 and a half sacks? Indeed. Monster, monster, monster. And he had five batted passes. That's that's crazy. Um, my number five, despite missing six games, was Aaron Donald. Uh, dude still ended up with five sacks, 27 tackles, one forced fumble. Um, but I wanted to highlight here, he was rated number one in war in the NFL, which is actually still, it's a stat that I'm still learning about. But in the NFL, it's actually, you know, it can be kind of a big deal. Yes, certainly. Um, but yeah. Despite missing his six games, he was still number one rated in the war stat. So Aaron Donald, you know, had, still had a great season. Luke, you just taught me something. I did not know that there was war in football. Yeah, I, I actually talk about war a lot on this list. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea that there was wins above replacement in football. But I love yeah. that, and I'm definitely going to start paying attention to that stat. <laughs> Heck yeah. All right. My, we're at number five. Yes, sir. All right, my number five is Dexter Lawrence of the New York Jets. Dude's an animal. It's, you know, cut and dry. He's an animal. And he's still on his rookie contract, which is crazy. Uh, A huge, like, he's kind of coming out of college. He was underdeveloped as a pass rusher and run defender. But with the New York Giants has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, Just a giant guy, a huge run stopper. Um, finished second in pressures for the season. Um, but the run defending ability of Dexter Lawrence is huge here. And at 340 pounds, uh, he's a scary guy. And which leads me to my number four, which is Dexter Lawrence, seven and a half sacks, 35 solo tackles, two forced fumbles. And to kind of bounce off the last topics that you just said on my list, or actually, uh, let, let me back up PPF had him graded the highest in run defense and pass rush. What more could you want from your defensive lineman? I mean, Dexter Lawrence is, you know, he shit on everybody that he played against last season, so he was my number four. Okay, I I just want to clear something up real quick. Are you saying PPF or PFF? I've been saying PPF. Okay, because I believe you're talking about pro football focus. Yeah, I I am talking about PFF, my bad. I was just checking because I was a little bit confused. He's correcting me. (laughs) All right, my number four is Jeffrey Simmons of the Tennessee Titans. This guy's a rare breed. 
honestly. And I, and I might have over overhyped him here, but 53 pressures, seven and a half sacks, a fantastic run defender, and he isn't really like a giant. Like obviously he's a huge human being. He's a defensive tackle in the NFL, but outrageous just like hand strength. He does it all with his arms and just absolutely punishes interior offensive linemen. I that was another guy that didn't make my list, but he almost did. Deron Payne complete like didn't even look at him. Completely forgot about him. But Jeffrey Simmons almost made my list. Um, definitely the best. Like probably what would you say second best player on that Titans group? Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, has to be. Um, my number three and should have been. I you need to move this guy up. Cameron Hayward, ten and a half sacks, thirty nine tackles, one forced fumble, but top five. PFF, thank you, Grayson, grades in run defense, total pressures, and war, all at the age of 33 years old. He has shown no signs of regression, constantly solid, constantly underrated. Cameron Hayward's my number three. Look, I got to defend myself here again. Like I said at the beginning, I was not confident whatsoever in what I valued here. (laughs) So my list is all over the place. I certainly should have put Cameron Hayward higher. I kept moving him down for some reason. I think he started in my list at number five. And I just kept being like, oh, I really like this guy and just put him over him. So (laughs) that's kind of what happened. But my number three is Aaron Donald. I know he missed, what, five games? Six games. Six games. You you usually like to I know. Who the guys? I told you my standards were all over the place here. <laughs> the guy's fucking undeniable. Yeah. And look, like, he's just like an astronomical talent. The guy is crazy. He differentiates himself against everybody. He's not that tall. He is just a giant, strong fucking human being. He's fast. Like, no offensive lineman can stop him. If he was healthy all year, he'd be the consensus number one in this list. But he just he's just simply insanely good. And like in past years has been arguably the best player in the NFL, not just the best defensive player. Yeah, and I mean, how fitting that it was him that iced the Super Bowl against the Bengals uh, with that, you know, pass rush against Joe Burrow. But the thing that impresses me the most about Aaron Donald, and then I will get into my number two, is Aaron Donald in my lifetime is the one defensive lineman, the only defensive lineman that I have seen play edge, interior. He just, he moves around the line. He can do anything and murder whoever offensive lineman he's going against. He's a freak of nature. Absolute freak of nature. The only other guy I can even think of that does that is another future Hall of Famer in J.J. Watt. He can just go wherever the mismatch will be and he'll just eat you up. Exactly. Um. But, you know, J.J. Watt, or, oh, you said J.J.? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, I, I like that, I like that. Um, My number two was Quinnen Williams of the New York Jets. Had 12 sacks, which was a career high for him and a team high for uh, the team last season. 35 solo tackles, two forced fumbles, and I don't really have any kind of, you know, extra stats, except for he was PFF graded to have a higher run defense than Aaron Donald. Anything that your PPF or PFF, damn, I almost said it again, PFF graded, you know, better than Aaron Donald, you're you're obviously a serious player in your own right. 
But I think the biggest stat here, Grayson, is Quinnen Williams is a guy that the Jets brought in when this team was still shit. This Jets defensive line, led by Quinnen Williams, is the entire reason that they have gone a complete 180 direction as far as their culture being changed. Quinnen Williams made my number two. What a player. I love this guy. Well, that's why he's my number two as well. I absolutely love Quinnen Williams. Not just the football player, but the personality as well. The interview where he sneezed and blessed himself. He's got just like the funny, like he has just such good charisma, like as just a human being. But on the football field, he's a fucking monster. 32 snop, uh, thirty-two stops, um, 12 sacks, 52 pressures, and he's a good run defender. Like the dude is a huge key to that Jets defense. And uh, like you said, a huge key to just what the Jets have become and will become moving forward. I like it. And I think, um, you know, go, before I mention my number one, I think you and I had consensus quarterback pick for our top 10 quarterbacks. Uh, we picked the same wide receiver. We had different running backs, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we, obviously you haven't mentioned one guy. I haven't mentioned one guy. Probably both of our number ones are going to be Chris Jones. Yeah, of <laughs> uh, course. Yeah, 15 and a half sacks, which actually I learned tied a career high for him, which is insane. The fact that he's done this twice, unbelievable. That was tied for fourth um, among the entire league, which is insane that a D lineman is even top five, in my opinion, let alone an interior D lineman. Um, he did have a he did have 30 solo tackles, but a career high with 44 um, total tackles, two forced fumbles. And the only, you know, kind of note that I have on him here is no interior lineman needs to have 15 and a half sacks, but this dude is an absolute dog. He had two sacks in the AFC championship game, big game player, Chris Jones. I, I, I love this guy. He is fun to watch. Yeah. He's absolutely insane. Uh, on top of it, 17 uh, tackles for loss. He had 103 sack yards. Oh if you God. if he sacked you from the one yard line, he'd have got a safety. He'd be in the crowd, dude. Like the the guy is absolutely insane, and he forced two fumbles. He had a fumble recovery, four passes defended, um, the 30 solo tackles. I believe he was the runner up for defensive player of the year, only behind Nick Bosa. The guy is fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember whenever we were doing our defensive player of the year uh, predictions or who we'd like to see get it before making this list, I did not think that Chris Jones, I, I remember, you know, I was pondering the fact that he was one of the three guys that was up for the award. After kind of doing some research on him for this list, I feel like an idiot. And I'm going to go back on what I said. This dude is one of the best defensive players in the league, if not the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, what more can we say? He's just fantastic. Yep, a ridiculous guy. And he's only 28. He's got plenty of time left. Plenty of time. All right, Luke. I think this was probably our most different lists here across all of the positions we've done. I, I was. Really fun. Really I, fun. I remember just a couple of weeks ago when we talked about, you know, what was the next step after tight ends. We decided to do defensive tackles. We weren't sure if we wanted to do five or ten. We could have done twenty. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. 
like there's so many guys that each of us left off these lists. Like we could have gone real deep on defensive tackles, but I'm very happy with both of our lists. Yeah, we uh, uh yeah, and we actually still went similar too, which is yeah, still funny. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk a little bit of baseball. World Baseball Classic is oh, yeah. in full swing. The group stages are over. The pools have been set. And actually, there's already been two of the quarterfinals played. So we'll start here. Cuba beat Australia 4-3 to move on to the semifinal. And I'm kind of surprised it was this close. But Cuba has been surprising people all throughout the tournament. They were fantastic in their first game. Um, they've really shown like they don't have a ton of MLB talent here. A lot of guys playing in Japan, which I've explained on past episodes that, um, Cuban players can't just sign an MLB contract and just move to America. Uh, but they do have an agreement in Japan where they can do that. So Cuba has a lot of underrated athletes just across the board. And the fact that they are now moving into the semifinal, uh, out of a group that was so strong as well is very impressive. Yeah, I I like seeing Cuba do well, but they will have to play the winner of USA versus Venezuela, which, I mean, those are just two, I feel like, heavyweights that are going to clash here. What a game this is going to be. Yes, I cannot wait to see Ronald Acuna take on the U.S. team. It's going to be a fantastic game. Saturday, uh, 7 p.m. in Miami. The crowd is going to be going nuts. For sure. Um, I had a I had a World Baseball cl- uh, Classic question for you, Grayson. So it, it, this is really not so much about the sport, but I guess like the situation. All of the games and highlights that I've seen of uh, the games that are taking place in Asia, are they still dealing with COVID rules? Because a lot of their stadiums are empty for these games. Uh, I don't believe so. I, I really don't know uh, personally. Okay, interesting. I, I just thought I would ask you because um, I remember a couple podcasts ago I mentioned how cool I thought the Tokyo Dome was. It was almost completely empty for um, Australia versus Korea. It could just be an interest thing. Um, True. But, you know, there's no telling. Obviously, they're going to pack the house for the Japanese team, uh, which they oh, certainly sure. have done. But, um, yeah, I'm not too sure on that one. But let's talk about Japan because they whomped Italy 9-3 in quarterfinal two to move on to the semifinals. They'll play the winner of Puerto Rico versus Mexico, which really have been two of the teams that like really surprised people. Obviously, Puerto Rico is a fantastic team. Mexico wins Pool C over U.S. Uh, almost The U.S. almost didn't make it, um, but big win over Colombia. They make it in, and Mexico has looked fantastic. Uh, they go up against the Puerto Rico team that's coming off of a perfect game against Israel. We, or, uh, sorry, yeah. Czech Republic, I believe. One of the two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, can't, um, I can't quite remember, but a ridiculous showing from Puerto Rico. All I can say, man, is I wanted the team with the espresso machine to go through. In their, dugout, dog. <laughs> in their dugout. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that that shit was so funny. Yeah, and their celebrations were just so Italian too. That I just yeah, <laughs> what a team, what a team to watch. Good old Vinny Pasquantino. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is setting up for a fantastic tournament. But there's somebody who's obviously missing, and that's the yeah. Dominican Republic. 
Oh, man, what happened? I Just, like, looking at their lineup and even talking to my dad about it, I mean, we were just drooling looking at what their lineup would, would be. I mean, it's literally MLB All-Stars over there. Yeah, it, essentially just about everybody on that starting lineup it has been an All-Star. It's crazy. Like, just up and down this lineup, future stars, current stars, former stars even, like, guys all over this team, and they – simply couldn't get it done yeah i'm not familiar but like what 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 did their games look like i mean why are they at a lot of close ones uh a, a tough okay. loss in their final game against puerto rico just a tough matchup there the teams both go into it two and one um but with that group it was tough to get out of because in pool d you also had venezuela who absolutely killed it i, I don't think Venezuela lost. So, uh yeah, they went 4 and 0 and beat up on Israel, but yeah, it's just it was wild uh to watch these teams. Obviously Venezuela dominated it, but that's just what kind of happens here. Only two teams can advance and when three great teams end up in a pool together, it's pretty hard to come out. Just like the World Cup, it's happened multiple times. Yeah, um, for example, you had uh, a group of Saudi Arabia, um, Poland, Argentina, and Mexico. It, it, you know, you have three good teams there, and I, yeah, I'm saying Poland's a good team because right now Poland are in their you know golden generation of talent with guys like Lewandowski and goalkeepers like Chesney. And of course, one of them was going to miss out. Of course, in the World Cup, it was Mexico. But yeah, I, I understand what you're saying is when you have three good teams and two move on, you know, it, it's a it's going to be a dogfight then. All right. Well, we'll just be looking forward to this uh, World Baseball Classic stuff because it's lining up very well. Um, you know, either the U.S. or Venezuela versus Cuba, um, Puerto Rico or Mexico versus Japan. Ideally, I'd love to see Japan versus Puerto Rico. I think that that matchup would be fantastic. Um, obviously, I'd love for the U.S. to beat Venezuela, but Venezuela has been real good. So we'll just have to see. But yeah, I'm. I'm very happy with how the World Baseball Classic has gone this year. It's it's been a fantastic thing to follow along with. Yeah, I'm uh I'm pulling for a USA Mexico. Can that can that happen with the current tree? Yes, uh, the way it, it certainly called? can. Uh, Mexico mm -hmm. is on the other side of the bracket. They just have to get through Japan. Yeah, put put a U.S. versus Mexico World Baseball Classic final in Southern California. Watch what happens. It's Best in game. Miami, unfortunately. But, yeah, Southern I, California would be crazy. But Puerto Rico versus USA in Miami would go insane. That's Yeah, that's another game. It, I mean, honestly, either way, with the teams that are left, you have Japan, uh, Puerto Rico, Mexico, uh, let's see, Cuba, USA, Venezuela. They're, I, I feel like there's a good final no matter how it plays out, honestly. What what a what a World Baseball Classic we have had this year, Grayson. Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic, and it makes me super excited to look forward to it. I honestly just wish the U.S. would have had some better pitching. I, I hope it, you know, I hope it becomes a bigger deal, and I hope that players, um, you know, that want to go play for the USA are allowed to. You know, we talked about guys like Clayton Kershaw, who we presume, of course, I don't think we knew for sure, but we presume that the Dodgers were like, Hey, you've had injury problems. Fuck no. You cost us too much money. Just like, you know, to kind of put this in a different light, Grayson, imagine telling like Lionel Messi, like if you're PSG, imagine t telling Lionel Messi, oh, we pay you too much. You can't go play for Argentina. 
And yeah. in the in the culture of soccer, that is a totally different deal. And personally, I kind of hope that that culture comes to the World Baseball Classic because baseball is a worldly sport that not a lot of people, you know, view it as one. It, yeah. the, the World Baseball Classic that's already entertaining could be so much more entertaining if MLB teams would let their guys play. Yeah, I think the hardest part here is that and I guess it did kind of happen with the World Cup this year being in November and December, but this the World Baseball Classic is happening during spring training. Like pitchers and catchers reported and then about a month later, uh, less than a month later, um World Baseball Classic rosters were meeting. So it, it makes it pretty tough, especially because a lot of these pitchers, they use spring training as their way to like to reacclimate themselves and get back with the team, get back with their catchers, and you don't get that when you go and play in the World Baseball Classic. So it makes it pretty tough. So I understand the idea there, and also of course the injury risk. We, I don't know if you saw this, but Edwin Diaz, uh, you know, probably the best closer in the MLB right now, he uh, hurt his patella, and it's likely he's going to be out for the season because he was oh, celebrating wow. and hurt his knee. Unbelievable. That's that's a big shame there. Yeah. So, look, things can happen. You know, craziest things can happen. But yeah. I, I love the World Baseball Classic, and I would love for people to, you know, really take it seriously in the future. For sure. And and I know we need to move on, but just one more thing that I wanted to bring up, um, kind of going off of the whole um, pitchers things, it's just as a non-baseball fan, it's very interesting to me of how – how structured like pitchers have to be in their rhythm to avoid injury. Like I, I get it. You know, the world baseball classic, it's timing. It's right during spring break. And, you know, for pitchers and their rhythm and their, you know, recovery and pitch count, it is so tedious. I feel like for pitchers to really rest themselves to, um, to train well and to, you know, recover their arms, ice their elbows and stuff. So I understand, but, uh, you know, as a non-baseball fan, going back to my point, it's just really interesting how pitchers have to really, really prepare and be on a good schedule to be effective. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, Let's go ahead and talk about the Champions League, though, because we had quite the week, honestly. Uh, It was a pretty entertaining week. So we'll just start it off with the obvious one here. Manchester City. Oh, my God. Did they beat the shit out of Leipzig? 7-0 to advance, 8-1 on aggregate. Five of those goals coming from one ugly little fucker, Erling Holland. <laughs> he is an ugly son of a bitch, isn't he? But damn, can that Norwegian play soccer? Five goals. Five goals, Grayson. Since the Champions League begun in 1992, of course, there was the European Cup before that, which, you know, stems back to like the 50s, I believe. But I have a question for you. There have been three players that have scored five goals in the Champions League since, you know, its creation in 1992. Do you know who the other two are? Um, were they strikers? One of them. Thierry Henry. No. Fuck. Um, That's your only guess. One of one of them is one of the best players who uh, in the world, and he did it against Bayern Leverkusen. Was it Messi? It was Messi. Okay. We'll Makes never sense. get the third guy, so I'm just going to go ahead no. and tell you it was Luis Adriano, the Brazilian striker really? who 
Yeah, it was with Shakhtar Donsik at the time. I, I don't even know the team that he, you know, thrashed. But yeah, Holland, Messi, and Luis Adriano are the only three players to have scored five goals in the UCL since 1992. Holland joins as the 13th player to ever do it in the history of European Cups. Wow. So, what an amazing feat for a young player who's still got, I mean, years upon years left in the tank. But, um, yeah. Anyway, you know, kind of going back to this game, I'm very disappointed in Leipzig. As a Chelsea fan who watched the first leg of this game, Leipzig, you know, in the second half of the first leg, were really giving Manchester City a run for their money. Of course, it was in front of a loud German, you know, Bundesliga crowd, which are always going to be hard to play in front of. But Leipzig, man, you're one of the top teams in Germany. I know it's Manchester City, but you've got to do better than 7-0. Come on. Yeah, that is brutal. And... Obviously, the five goals from Holland is crazy, but look, the defense in general for Leipzig was struggling the whole match. And look, it starts central defensive mid, kind of playing a little bit more center mid, though. Uh, Campbell uh, struggled, a 4.9 rating. Uh, Henricks, uh, right back, a 4.0. Orban, one of the best defenders, uh, really the best defender on this team, one of the best defenders in Germany right now a 4.7 rating, and then their other center back, Gavardiol, 4.5. Just a huge struggle from the defense, uh, obviously. But they, they couldn't attack either. Yeah, um, I wanted to point out that, you know, um, Garvodiol is a guy who he probably will move um, to a big team for like $90 million soon. So you'd obviously like to see a better performance out of your young, I think he's Hungarian, uh, defender there, but... You know, this is, unfortunately, this is the kind of shit that we expect from Manchester City with, uh, you know, midfielders like De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Ike Gundogan, who seems to get better with age, and Rodri, you know, and a striker like Holland up there, you know, in front of them all. I mean, come on. It's, it's going to be hard to defend, but, you know, if you're a team like Leipzig with, you know, talented players in your own right, you have to play better and at least score a goal. Come on. Yeah. And shout out to one of the guys that when we did our preview for the restart of the Premier League after the World Cup, said this guy was going to be good. Manuel Akanji had two assists in this match from the center back wow. position. Wow. Huge. And 87% on accurate passes with 87 uh, out of 100. Just a fantastic game for the guy. He even three shots on goal. Emmanuel Akanji. Everybody was shooting against Leipzig, man. <laughs> yeah, it was like fucking practice out there. Yeah, it really was. But yeah, this this game was absolutely insane, and Manchester City moves on to the quarterfinals somewhere that they're really no stranger to. Yes, um, but you know they're they're haunted in the Champions League, man. No matter how good they've been with Pep, they have still never won this competition, uh, and I, I don't think they're going to do it this year either. To, to be honest with you. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. We'll we'll talk about that in our potential matchups, though. Let's talk yeah, for sure. Porto and Inter. They draw nil nil, and Inter uh, advances one nil on aggregate. I, Grayson, Inter Milan absolutely lucked the fuck out against Porto. Um, Porto, very underrated team in the past couple of years. They have enormously and immensely competed in the Champions League um, the past couple of years, I feel like. And 
Estadio do Drago, um, that was a very bad pronunciation. But anyway, Porto's home stadium is once again kind of like Leipzig, and maybe even more so than Leipzig, not an easy place to play. You also had um, Octavio suspended. Uh, that was from the first leg. And Grayson, Porto had 21 shots and seven on target and did not score a goal. Inter had 11 shots and five on target. Porto had 68% of the possession, and Andre Onana was by far the best player in this match. He kept Inter in the game, and they're advancing because of him. Yep, I was about to say the same thing. An 8.1 match rating, uh, fantastic showing from the Cameroonian goalkeeper. Uh, Look, six saves is huge. Um, Five diving saves, uh, three saves inside the box, two punches. Ridiculous stuff here from Andre Onana and across the board, like nobody really showed out in this game outside of him. Really Uh Grujic, uh, I believe that's how you say it on Porto was pretty solid. An 8.3 match rating here, four shots for him. Um, only um, one on target, I believe, but really making his impact uh, trying to create chances. He created four, but yeah, they really just could not move up on this enter defense, but Onana still did a fantastic job in goal for him. Yeah. Um, but and I just, <laughs> I can't get over how this game went, man, because honestly in the first leg too, it kind of seems like Porto kind of outplayed inter Milan in both the legs, but Porto just couldn't get a goal in two games against them. Very, you know, poor goal scoring there, but the chances, the chances were there. Porto can only blame themselves at this point. And I just wanted to, I, I want to give this to Porto though. I'm going to try to repronounce this name. Estadio do Dragao, I think is how it would be pronounced. That literally translates to Dragon Stadium. How fucking badass is that, Grayson? That's sick <laughs> as fuck. I love that name. So cool. All right. Well, let's talk Real Madrid versus Liverpool. Real Madrid gets the win 1-0. They advanced 6-2 on aggregate. It was pretty well locked up there. But uh, a pretty solid match here. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Um, Liverpool definitely, um, it, they, they made it much more even than the first leg, obviously. Um, but Grayson, that's now um, two in a row that Liverpool have lost since that, you know, wonderful outing against Manchester United, that 7-0. Um, and before this game, they're off of a 1-0 loss to Bournemouth. So I kind of pose this question to you. Now that Liverpool are out of the Champions League and, you know, it, it kind of seems like their form is slipping again. Do you think this kind of performance will continue for Liverpool or do you think these are just two bumps in the road? I th- I think these are just kind of bumps in the road. I think this also gives them the opportunity to put their full, um, their full stamina into the Premier League. And look, I, I kind of question how this formation was set as well. The midfield really throwing me off here. Uh, obviously up front, uh, a pretty normal front three with Darwin Nunes, Diego Jota, uh, or Jota and um, Mohamed Salah, but Gakpo, Fabinho, and Milner across the middle, obviously playing it a little bit wider for Gakpo and Milner, but I feel like they needed more midfield help here uh, for Fabinho. He can't hold that all down himself. Yeah, and I just want to condemn, um, con- no, condemn's not the word. But what's the what's that C word where like if you want you want to give someone props you use it all the time. Uh, to condemn? No, condemn is the opposite. Yeah, but condemn would be like to shut it down. Anyway, 
I want to give a round of applause to Cody Gakpo because uh, I, I don't know what your um, match rating system has him, has him at, but mine has him at a 7.4, which is still super solid for a player that just joined in January, has only been good since, but he hasn't like, had a solid position at Liverpool. He's been moved to striker, winger, and it even looks like in this game, like kind of like a third center mid kind of role. Liverpool are just real, you know, they keep moving him around a lot. He can't ever get stable, but he's still playing well. I wanted to shout out Cody Gakpo. Yeah, he's playing fantastic. And there's a a few injuries to this Liverpool squad that's kind of holding them back. Uh, Thiago Alcantara, obviously out with a muscle injury. Uh, Luis Diaz has been out for a little bit now. And Jordan Henderson was out for this game. He was sick. Um, So it does throw things off a bit, but, you know, quite a hill to climb there. There wasn't much of a chance. Uh, For sure. But two things that I just wanted to shout out from this game. Uh, Eduardo Camavinga, 7.1 match rating from the midfield. Grayson, this dude is like a 19, 20-year-old French midfielder. Remember the name. I'm going to say, just remember the name with this kid. I love watching him play. But... I want to give a round of applause. Um, can't use the C word because I don't know what it is. Uh, round of applause to Real Madrid because Liverpool obviously being knocked out uh, at the cent- uh, uh, the Bernabeu, right? Yeah, the Bernabeu. Yep. Liverpool, obviously, they're synonymous with the song, You'll Never Walk Alone. I'm pretty sure they sing it at the beginning and end of every game. The Bernabeu and Real Madrid actually played You'll Never Walk Alone, and it was just a cool sight to see the Liverpool fans, you know, go – and clap for their away fans as their away fans sung You'll Never Walk Alone. Um, so, yeah, just really cool class act from Real Madrid there. That's awesome. All right, one last match, and then we'll talk about our potential matchups in the quarterfinals. Napoli beats Eintracht Frankfurt 3-0. They advance 5-0 on aggregate, and Napoli just continues this fantastic form domestically and internationally. I was, I'm glad you brought up domestically because uh, I'm looking up the Syria odd table now. Um, on, let me get it. Yeah, Napoli are 18 points ahead, first place. They're about to win the Syria A for the first time since Maradona did it in the 80s. Of course, I know we're talking about Champions League, but you know, like you brought up, Grayson, Napoli have just been on an absolute fucking tear in the Champions League and in the Syria A, which is never hard to do. You know, if you're a team that plays in the Champions League, you have to rotate guys around and pick and choose. You know, do I want to play my best squad in the Champions League or do I want to play my best squad against like a, you know, big table uh, Serie A game that we have coming up? But Napoli have found a perfect, you know, balance, it seems like. And Victor Osman, I just wanted to highlight him. That's two goals again for him. He'll definitely be be probably leaving Napoli for an $100 million transfer soon, I I, uh, I can imagine. But, yeah, shout out Napoli. They are killing it. Yeah. Ossiman uh, was fantastic in this one. Got a brace, uh, a 9.0 match rating here, uh, three total shots, two goals. That's ridiculous. And, yeah. the, look, the guy just can't stop scoring. He's doing it in all competitions. He's been one of the best players in Europe for at least 2023 so far, even going back to the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, if Chelsea don't get their, you know, striker, I would like it to be Victor Ozzyman. That would be <laughs> a fantastic this, pickup. This guy is a freak of nature at striker. Um, 
You know, I would have liked to have seen Frankfurt do better, Grayson, because in this second leg, they had eight shots, but only one on target. I mean, and that's that's a good way to score zero goals. <laughs> yes, it certainly is. <laughs> yeah, um, and in Frankfurt, you know, on, on top of that, they have guys like Sebastian Rota, who's their captain, who's played for teams like Bayern Munich. Kevin Trapp has played for PSG. They also have Mario Goetze in midfield. He's won a World Cup for Germany. This Frankfurt team, you know, I get it. They're not one of the best teams that, you know, made it into the knockout round. But, like, I would have still liked to have seen them do a lot better. But, you know, they they deserve to get, you know, thrashed 5-0 on aggregate. They really did. Yeah, they simply just did not play well either match. And, yeah, this this one was real tough. Nobody had a match rating over 6.9, and that being Kevin Trapp. Unbelievable. All right. Well, let's talk because there's only a few left. Uh, the remaining yes. teams are Bayern Munich, Benfica, Chelsea, Inter Milan, Man City, AC Milan, Napoli, and Real Madrid. I'm personally surprised there's three Serie A teams here. Yeah, me too. Um, but it's nice to see because the Serie A, man, in the early 2000s, the Serie A was like the league to play in. It honestly feels like for my entire lifetime, and that has completely like gone away. It looks like it's coming back finally. Um, you know, I, I posed this question to you, and we just got done talking about him. Napoli, Grayson, it's no secret that they're absolutely flying. How far do you think they can go in the Champions League? Because, I mean, 18 points ahead in the Serie A, they're probably going to win it. How far do you think that this talented Napoli team can go in the UCL? I think it's tough because there is certainly some powerhouses that they could run into that play a style of soccer that maybe they're not accustomed to playing. They haven't seen this much international success in a while, and they don't get to see this type of soccer played against them. Their route through this has been not easy. Of course not. It's the Champions League, but I don't know. With Napoli, it's it's interesting because like you're coming off the win against Eintracht Frankfurt, and I blanking on who their group was, but um, it really hasn't been too crazy uh, when it comes down to competition-wise. Uh, obviously, that being a while ago, but yeah, they, they played Ajax, um, Rangers, and Liverpool. So Liverpool, obviously, um, the best team, and Liverpool beat them in the group stage. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think their run could continue because they're on fantastic form. But if they run into you know Bayern, Man City, Real Madrid, who's been playing fantastic... I could see it coming to an end. You know what, though? I, I think out of all of the um, – if, if you're one of the big teams in this group, Napoli is one of the, you know, lesser – not as big team, right, that you don't want to see right now. Um, I, and I think that maybe they can't go far, but I feel like whoever whoever will potentially knock Napoli out, Gonna, they're going to have to show up and compete against Napoli because Napoli will com- sure as hell compete against them. You know, Napoli are not one of those teams that you can, you know, rotate your team around for, you know, league games coming up. You're going to have to play your full squad if you're going to beat Napoli because they're they're just pouncing on everybody. Yeah, they're they're killing it right now. And the other, you know, the, the big deal here is – just the fact, you know, AC Milan, a super young team, really in it, uh, as well as Benfica, another really young team, uh, Chelsea, uh, a 
very a vastly changing lineup for Chelsea as well. Bayern Munich, of course, you know, just traditionally a, a powerhouse and as well as Real Madrid. But look, these are teams that a lot of times don't make it this far, but definitely some of the best teams in Europe. That's undoubted. Um, certainly surprised to see, you know, Napoli, AC Milan, Benfica in this position as well as enter. But I, I don't know. There's definitely some fantastic matchups that could happen. For sure. And just to kind of state, uh, uh, take a step back and look at it, you know, at, through the lens of like a kind of bigger picture, this is one of the most entertaining soccer seasons I can remember. You had the GOAT win his World Cup, finally. You have a Premier League table where, for one, Chelsea are in 10th place. You have like Fulham that are top 10, Brentford that are top 10, Newcastle is top 10, Brighton is top 10. Like, just all this crazy shit going on. And another thing about the Premier League is the talent is so spread across. Your big six do not have all the talent like it used to be. There is talent that everybody has. I mean, shit, Grayson. Nottingham Forest brought in Kaylor Navas. Unbelievable. And you have Napoli about to win the Serie A uh, by 18 points for the first time since the 80s when Maradona did it, like I said earlier. Just, I mean, what a season it has been all across the entire world. Um, but yeah, you know, back to back to the topic is whatever is drawn here out of these teams, it, it's going to be a great match. Yeah, it's going to be huge. So I put together just what I would like to see across the board. So just a matchup for each team here. So I've got Bayern versus Man City, Benfica versus AC Milan, Real Madrid versus Inter and Chelsea versus Napoli. Those would be my favorite matchups of the whole draw. I like it. Um, the, the Chelsea Napoli one's good because, like, when when Chelsea are on form, which you know they kind of are now, Napoli and Chelsea are very similar teams. Yeah, definitely. In and then opinion. obviously, like Bayern and Man City, that's just you know firepower versus firepower. Benfica yeah. and AC Milan, two squads that have tons and tons of young homegrown talent a lot of guys that they will end up transferring off for hundreds of millions of dollars and then Real Madrid versus Inter was kind of just best of the rest (laughs) when it came down to it but yeah Chelsea Napoli a fantastic matchup probably my favorite uh, possibly behind Bayern versus Man City I'd love to see that one I I like that pick Um, and, and I got a question for you and then I guess you know we can move on to our prim review or preview, sorry. Um, out of these teams that are left, who do you think is going to win it all? What's your prediction? <sighs> Look, Man City looks great, but we've talked about how they've been pretty bad late into the uh, Champions League. I like Real Madrid. I like Bayern. I, mm, I don't know. I think there could definitely be, like, like Napoli could surprise the world and win it. They certainly are on the form, but... Can they hold it up is the problem here. I feel like I'm going to go Man City. I think they're going to flip the script on us. I think Real Madrid will win it. They're going to go back-to-back this year. Um, and, and I'm just going off of uh, – they took a Liverpool team with a healthy Van Dyke and just said, we don't care, and we're going to score anyway. If they beat him again in the second leg, which you know you can argue that Liverpool had nothing to play for, but a team like Liverpool – as soon as the first whistle blows of that game, you know, at least in, until like the second half, 
Liverpool probably should have been coached like they could have had a chance because they definitely had the attacking firepower to put goals past people, 7-0 versus Manchester United. But Real Madrid just looked the most solid. They had the most depth to rotate their team around for La Liga and the Champions League. I'm going to go Real Madrid. All right. Let's talk about the Prem then. There's a few teams off this weekend. Uh, I realized that when I started looking at everything that not all of the top teams are really playing this week. I think uh, Manchester City is off. Uh, Manchester United's off. Uh, I believe New- or no, Newcastle is playing this weekend. Um, Liverpool might be off is probably who I'm thinking of. Yes, Liverpool is off as well. And, and a few others. I was very surprised by it. I'm not quite sure why. Um, but still uh, a few good matchups here this weekend. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm excited to get into it, man. All right, well, let's just start it off. Nottingham Forest versus Newcastle uh, actually being played on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. This is a fantastic matchup, and you might be like, why? Nottingham Forest sucks. Well, Newcastle is on... Pretty brutal form. They did get the win over Wolves last week, but like it's looked really bad here, and they really need a win. Speaking of needing a win, Nottingham Forest, they're only two points out of the relegation zone, though they're in 14th. It's not going to be hard for them to drop, and a win over Newcastle could really cement them because putting them at 27 points, or sorry, uh, putting them at 29 points, with the way it stands right now would put them all the way up into 12th place from 14th. Wow. So it, it's super tight here at the bottom. Like there's only a five point difference from 12th to 20th. So a whole lot of things can happen here at the bottom of the table. A ton of guys can shift. I think Nottingham Forest is good in or Okay. They have the potential to be good enough, but they just concede too many goals. Yeah, and I, I think I've kind of given up on Nottingham Forest. Of course, they're they're like an enigma in the league because they're 14th. They can't get results, but they have talents like Andre Ayew, who I want to say that Ayew, because um, there's multiple Ayews, he was the captain of Ghana. Uh, since he, his signing in January, he's only averaged a 6.4. 6.5 if you round it, you know, want to be generous there. But why be generous to someone who can't show up? Andre Shelby has plenty of prim experience. He's not the best player in the world, but he's still a guy that he's been around enough. He knows what the league is like. You have Felipe and Renan Lodi, both from Atletico Madrid, you know, amazing players there that are both playing well, but, you know, they're not getting results. And then probably the best player on their team, as far as match rating goes, Serge Aurier, who's played for teams like PSG in his career. And then of course, Kaylor Navets. It's, it's getting to the point, Grayson, where it's it's no excuses for Nottingham Forest. These new signings should have already settled in now. It's been over a month, and they haven't won a game since Kaylor Navis's debut on February 5th. On the other side of the pitch, you have a team, Newcastle, who, struggling in form, did get a 3-1 win over Wolves, uh, which you mentioned. I think it was it 3-1. Sorry, which one? I, I can't I can't remember. The uh Newcastle's last game. Um, it was 2-1, two, 2-1 one. Two, one Newcastle. 2-1 win over Wolves. Okay. Um, and, but Newcastle are in a great spot uh, here because, of course, their, their form is really bad, but they have a game this weekend where they can kind of take a break of having to play Manchester United, Tottenham, 
Uh, Manchester United twice, actually. Tottenham once, Manchester City. You know, Newcastle been fucked as far as scheduling goes, but they can finally chill out and maybe play well against Nottingham Forest. I don't know. Score prediction, I, I'm just going to go 2-0 Newcastle. I don't I don't think Nottingham Forest will, will show out here. Yeah, Nottingham Forest has really struggled. They haven't won a match in five. They haven't kept a clean sheet in five, and they only score .8 goals per game. On the other hand, Newcastle, they score one and a half per game. But Newcastle hasn't kept a clean sheet in seven matches, so I'm going to take Newcastle 3-1. Okay, I like it. So Nottingham Forest will get a goal there. Yes. I like it. All right, let's talk Chelsea versus Everton. And once again, this is like a matchup where it's really not huge per se, but it's it's an important one here. So... Everton right now sits in 15th. They're behind Nottingham Forest right now. They've only got 25 points. Like I just said, there's not much separation down there at the bottom. And, you know, there's the possibility that um, West Ham and possibly Bournemouth both win matches this weekend. And that would put Everton with a loss. That would put Everton just one spot out of relegation if they can't get any points here. So, they're in a bad spot. They won their last one at Brentford or against Brentford, but they drew before that to Nottingham Forest 2-2. They lost to Arsenal 4-0. They lost to Villa 2-0 just a couple of weeks ago. And Chelsea, we've been talking about, they're on fantastic form. So this matchup is not looking favorable for Everton. Not looking favorable for Everton, but you know, a 1-0 a win against eighth place Brentford for uh Everton is not bad. I mean, Brentford just They've been fantastic this year. And, of course, they slipped up against Everton, and Everton capitalized on it, which is good. You know, you don't want – if you're a bad team, you don't want the team that you're playing who's much better than you to play bad and you not capitalize it. Everton need points like this. They need to make upsets. And they're going to have to make one against Chelsea because Chelsea have finally, finally, Grayson, been picking it up offensively. The defense has stayed strong um, on top of the offense, you know, gaining some speed. Chelsea haven't lost to Everton since 2006, which is a fun fact that I wanted to throw in there. Um, yeah, Chelsea have won three in a row. Um, obviously, the comeback against Dortmund, the 1-0 versus Leeds, and the 3-1 win over Leicester City. Grayson, how good is Enzo Fernandez? He's fantastic. He really He's is. absolutely fantastic. His That little scoop pass to Kai Havertz, man, oh my gosh. Wet dream after wet dream over that one. I mean, finally, Chelsea are looking like we should offensively with the talent that we have. I I, I think Chelsea will really show out against Everton. I'm going to go 4-0. Wow. Uh, I do want to talk about the inactives list, though, for Chelsea because it is still quite a problem here. Uh, Mason yeah. Mount is going to be out for a couple of days with a hip injury. Uh, and Golo Conte is still not quite ready. Uh, Eduard Mendy's still out, most likely, with a broken finger. Azpilicueta's been out for a while with this concussion. He's still doubtful for this one. Aubameyang's doubtful. Raheem Sterling's doubtful. Uh, and Reese James still hasn't coming back. Obviously, Thiago Silva's out of the lineup. This throws this Chelsea lineup off a ton. But what they've got going for them is that Everton hasn't won an away match in 11 matches. So it's at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea's going to take it, but I don't think it's just going to be as handedly as you think. I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea. 2-1 Chelsea. I like it. All right, and then it'll bring you to our last match that we're going to talk about here. Arsenal 
versus Crystal Palace. This one, I just wanted to talk about Arsenal here. That's that's the only reason it's here. Okay. I, because I like it. Um, Arsenal, they're back in form, for sure. Yeah. They've, they've won their last five. It's ridiculous. They're absolutely killing it right now, and Crystal Palace is about to run into an absolute monster here. Crystal Palace haven't picked up points in their last five. Or sorry, they have picked up points. Uh, they haven't picked up points in their last three. A 1-0 loss to Brighton, a 1-0 loss to Man City, and a 1-0 loss to Villa in their last three. And look, they've been playing a ton of matches. That is the problem the Crystal Palace is facing right now. Those three losses came on March 15th, so yesterday, March 11th, which was Saturday, and March 4th, which was the Saturday prior they're playing a ton of soccer right now, and they're just gassed. And I think this will be no exception. I think Arsenal's going to win it pretty badly. I, I like it because Arsenal have looked really good. Um, actually, like minutes before we started recording, um, Arsenal just tied Sporting 1-1 in the Europa League, which uh, pushed Arsenal through a 2-1 aggregate um, over Sporting. It looked like Arsenal... It was it was kind of a it was a worrisome game. I, I'm gonna admit, Grayson, because Arsenal were playing um, most of their starting players, and you know they really couldn't get it done against Sporting. But you know, European games they they can be tough regardless of who you're playing against. So I, I will give Arsenal the benefit of the doubt. But Arsenal's last prim game, three nil over Fulham, kind of like Brentford beating Fulham three nil. You know, in today's game, that that's a big showing. It's a very, very solid outing from a team, especially, you know, with it being a London rivalry. But Crystal Palace, and, you know, we've seen this before, Grayson, they can be a trap team to the top teams. Yeah, they certainly can. Crystal Palace is definitely not short on, like, pretty decent talent um, just across the board. They've got some great players here. The problem is just the finishing. They, they simply can't finish. Um, I, I don't think they're going to finish much against Arsenal, um, but I think this game will be a little bit closer than what people think. I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go two one Arsenal. All right. Yeah, I, I think that Arsenal probably has a good chance at the shutout. Uh, Crystal Palace haven't scored in four. Uh, they haven't scored in two away matches. They're ranked 16th in goals per match, and um, Arsenal on the other side is kept. The most clean sheets in the Premier League with 12 this season. I got a feeling it's going to be a pretty bad one. I'm going to go Arsenal 3-0, though. I like it. I like it. All right. Anything else you want to talk about with the Prem? No, I, I think we can move on, man. All right. Well, let's get into Stake Your Claim, and then we will get out of here. Luke, why don't you take the floor? Because you were you were pretty happy with your claims, how you sounded. Yeah, yeah. Um, mine's not not long. It, it's just going to be a statement, and you get to just respond to it okay okay in the nfc beast hey you have the commanders cowboys eagles and why am i blanking on the other team giants sorry giants the commanders will be the second best team next season they will have the second best record in this division okay that is my hot take look they brought in Jacoby Brissett, which is honestly kind of where this take comes from. The Commanders were a just an average team last year. I think with a much more serviceable quarterback than Heineke or Wentz, 
Kobe Brissett could push them on, you know, they could push them over the edge. And I think, I think the commanders will probably finish second best in that division. Yeah, I'd like it. I don't, I don't, mm, I don't know, man. I, like the Phillies still going to be pretty good. The Cowboys are the Cowboys. Um, and with the Giants improvements, I think they're going to be really good. It could happen. I, I just personally don't see it coming. I, I don't know. I, I think it will. I, I would love, I, I just can't wait, you know, for the, for the interdivision matchups between these guys. Cause not only are they all very, very good now, they also hate each other's guts. Uh, that's going to be, you know, like it always has been a really, really awesome division to watch. Yeah. And then I'm going to go ahead and give you mine. Uh, mine also kind of has to do with how the team is going to finish the season. So the Panthers will certainly improve. Obviously, they've made fantastic signings. But I think with a rookie quarterback next season, they will still miss the playoffs. It'll probably come down to like a week, like a final week of the season deal. But I think they'll miss the playoffs. Okay, that's your that's your claim. Yeah. So, it, I guess to kind of look at the rest of the division, who do you think will finish above the Panthers? Who's going to kick them out? Hmm. Let's see. Who are you talking to right now? has been Ritter? yeah man taking us to the promised <laughs> land fuck it i'm i'm bought in i don't care i like it uh i mean i honestly like you know to to flip the question back on me i i don't know who can win that division i i honestly i'm gonna go bold giants win the nfc beast commander second eagles third cowboys last that that's gonna be my hot take Okay. I think the Eagles, you know, they're they're bringing back Darius Slay, which is huge. They're, you know, they've lost Javon Hargrave. They've lost Miles Sanders. Who knows if Rashad Penny is going to work out for them or not? You still got your, you know, Dallas Goddard, Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith. You still got that, you know, kind of quadruple, uh, quadruple air threat there. But I, I can see it not coming together for the Eagles. I, I think they'll be hung over from the Super Bowl. All right. Even though they didn't party because they didn't win, but, you know. Yeah, I get it. All right. Well, Luke, anything else you've got for the people? I think, you know, we have given the people <laughs> days worth of episodes with how long we can talk. I, I think, you know, keeping this one short, it's, it's the better way to go. <laughs> it is. We're just about to hit the two-hour mark, so I'm very happy. Hey, you guaranteed it before the episode. I, I was gonna I was gonna make sure, man. I, I had to go try hard for this one. All right. Well Luke, we'll see you next week. It's gonna do it for us. Peace. Peace.